Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am and how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful. But we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org slash lost. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Welcome to episode 166 of the Highly Relevant Podcast, a show about how Latinx pop culture is reshaping mainstream entertainment. I'm your host, Jack Rico, and now that National Hispanic Heritage Month is over, it is not over for me. For this podcast, every day is National Hispanic Heritage Month, which is why I'm rebroadcasting my interview with director Robert Rodriguez, one of my favorite interviews of the last five years. My favorite moment is actually the part where I ask him, and you'll listen to this uh, once you hear the interview, if it is the responsibility of Latino directors to create Latino movie stars. And the reason I asked him this is because of image representation. I mean, the numbers are atrocious for how many people we are in the United States that are not represented in these movies about America, and we're really not a part of it. So why don't we have Latino movie stars? And is it their responsibility to create them, develop them, give them a shot to do that? And it's very interesting. Actually, I was quite surprised with his answer which he said with so much conviction, you'll hear it for yourself in just a few minutes. But before I talk to Robert Rodriguez, it's time I give you my weekly recap, the top Latinx pop culture headlines in a segment I like to call Jacked In. Let's begin with the top movie TV music news of the week. Two George Lopez shows have been picked up. The drama Once Upon a Time in Nazatlan at Amazon Studios and the family comedy Lopez vs. Lopez at NBC. Adri Arjona to star in the indie film Los Frikis and will also executive produce. Jenna Ortega and Melissa Barrera feature as the leads in the new Scream reboot trailer. Wonder Woman 3 is officially being developed at Warner Brothers. Gina Rodriguez to voice Barbara Gordon in Spotify's DC podcast series Batman Unburied. The CW is developing Hermanas a sister's drama from Crystal Ferreiro, Ilana Peña, and Jerry Bruckheimer. Eugenio Derbez and Eva Longoria lead a cast of Aristotle and Dante film adaptation. The third and final season of Narcos Mexico is premiering on November 5th, and America Ferreira, Tanya Saracho, and Gloria Calderon Kellett team up for Dear Hollywood, a new initiative which aims to bring greater representation of Latina voices in Hollywood. And in tech and social media news, Facebook is changing its name with an announcement coming soon. Snapchat stock has crashed due to Apple's new privacy rules. FIFA is ending its exclusive partnership with EA Sports. Clubhouse has a new music mode that will improve the experience of playing and listening to live music in the platform. Twitch is testing a new rewind feature. Twitter is acquiring the chat app Sphere. PayPal is close to buying Pinterest. And Instagram will now let everyone post pictures from their desktop. You told me the story of the war when the ground shook and the sky burned. Of the ones that survived who awoke to a different world. 
Robert Rodriguez, welcome to the Highly Relevant Podcast. Hey. What does this movie mean to you personally? I know there's a lot going into this. The movie, to me personally, was a chance to finally work with Jim Cameron. He and I have known each other over 25 years, and, and we tried to make we almost made something together in '97 and in 2003, but you know I did Sin City instead. And uh, this was like third times the charm. This seemed like the perfect mm. project, and it, and it was the only and better than those other projects in that it already had a script. He had already written a script for himself to direct. So that's, you know, that reminded me of like Dustal Dawn, you know, that was right. a script Quentin had written, but he wasn't going to direct and it was rare to get a Quentin script at all. Anything he wrote from that point on, he was going to direct himself. These guys don't put that kind of work into something that just to hand it to another filmmaker. They'd almost rather not see it get made <laughs> than get made incorrectly um, because they live with a version that's in their head because it's so clear in their head when you write it, when they write it, especially And Jim had, 600 pages of notes and, you know, three hour draft. I mean, he, he saw it so clearly. So the chance to work on that with him and him trust me to, to do it. And we just had a blast making it together. Um, and, and just seeing it, you know, resonate with audiences. That's, that's just the best feeling, you know, to know that they they love the movie and it's only because I just asked him, Hey, what happens <laughs> to movies like battle angel? And he, and he happened to hand it over. If that hadn't happened, you know, people wouldn't have this movie. Absolutely insane. Um, you've built a reputation in being an efficient filmmaker with budgets. Alita's budget mm-hmm. from what I've heard, and maybe you can confirm that it was $170 million. And I believe mm-hmm. it's the most in your career. Is this oh, yeah. a dream for you, or did it create chaos with your approach to filmmaking? I think if I normally, usually why I stayed away from big studio films is because I had so much creative freedom on my lower budget movies. I always preferred taking a lower budget and making it look bigger. Being able to cast who I want, I could cast Latin actors, I could end it where I want, I could do anything I want. I love that freedom. And I knew on a bigger budget movie, they'd be all over me to make it a certain way, which right. is understandable. They want their money, they want their money back. So I was like, I don't, I don't need the big budgets. I'll just go make my own franchises, lower budget. I love the, the freedom. But working with Jim is like, uh, is like making an independent film because he has final say. Oh wow! So it's like, oh, as long as Jim, Jim and I are happy, then it goes in. And uh, and even he said he was shocked how fast I shot. I shot this movie in fifty-seven days. <laughs> That's incredible, <laughs> That's like Robert. Really Seriously, man, fifty-seven so, days. So I still, so even though I had 170 million, it wasn't like I was making it look like 170. Even Jim said it would take, it would he would have spent twice that. Wow. Uh, to make the same movie, so you know we're cutting edge technology. We're creating something that you've never seen before. Um, it, it would have been a, a really hefty price tag if I if I hadn't done it. So uh, I, I I used my same cost cutting techniques to kind of take that budget and, and stretch it into Jim Cameron land because there's no point in him making right. a movie with his name on it unless it's going to be breaking new ground so uh i kind of helped keep the, the budget you know more more contained by just being real efficient were you ever intimidated by the scale of the film you know he said that early on he said you know everything you've done everything in this movie you've done before it's just except other than performance capture but i'll show you that in a week um and i went he showed me how to do that he said everything else is just uh, you've done in some way or shape or form. So it's really a matter of scale and scope more than te- technique. You know, right. it's not like new techniques. Um, and he was right. You know, once he showed me the performance capture, how to do it, and I adapted it for this, 
he even dug how I used it so much. <laughs> He's using some of those techniques <laughs> in, in Avatar. He's like, hey, that oh, worked wow, out. Oh, wow, cool. cool. Try that. So, you know, we're, but we've always done that. You know, all of this 25 years I've known him, we've, you know, I see what he's doing and I, and I get ideas. He sees what I'm doing. He would get ideas, you know? So, um, it's, it, it's, that's kind of why we like working together. That's why I like working with Quentin or Frank Miller. It's, it gets you out of your own, just, you know, staying in your hole and, right. and getting to see what other people do. And you get firsthand, you know, seeing what they do, not just watching behind the scenes making of actually being there and seeing how he crafts screenplay or how he visualizes his movies. It's like staggering. You never would have, you never could have figured it out on your own. Right. So it's a, it's a, it's a real leg up and methodology. You've been a beacon for featuring Hispanic talent in Hollywood since the beginning of your career. Um, why has been, why has that been such an important part of what you do in filmmaking? Uh, you know, it's just, it's just a matter of just legit, you know, just, it's just logical. When you write anything, you write in your own point of view, you know, so I would write based on who I was. So any script I wrote is probably going to have a Latin lead character. So when I went to go make Desperado, there just wasn't any Latin actors working in Hollywood really, because no one was writing those parts. No one was directing those roles. So I realized if I was going to make movies, I needed to create my own Latin star system. So, you know, I brought Antonio from, from Europe. I, put, I discovered Salma Hayek. I brought Cheech out of retirement. I, I, I put Danny Trejo in every movie I, I made. <laughs> until he was a star. <laughs> so it was really, really was just a, a matter of survival. You know, it's like, I want to tell these stories that, that I, I have a personal connection with, you know, a story based on my family that has a, a, an edge to it and some fantasy element um, growing up in a family of 10 kids, except I'll just make them spies, do a movie like Spy Kids. I have to, I have to create my own stars. Right. So uh, otherwise, how do you make that movie? So it was more, it was more, uh, started out like that. And then I just saw that there was still a real need for it in Hollywood. So I created my own television network to give more filmmakers chances because we needed more filmmakers actually that were, you know, diverse backgrounds because they would write the roles that would demand that they find oh. the right actors for them. So it, it was a systemic problem. There just wasn't people creating these roles. It wasn't that the studio wasn't hiring the actor. What, what role were they going to hire him for? No one was writing these roles. No one was just directing these roles and demanding that this person be cast. So that's what needs to what needs to change still, and that's what we've, I've been trying to do you know, all it's, these years. It's interesting that you say that because you know one of the things that have been very critical with Alfonso Cuarón, Guillermo del Toro, and uh, Alejandro Iñárritu is that they're, they, they do make their Spanish films where every Hispanic fits. But as soon as they start creating American films, like Iñárritu and Birdman, or Del Toro and Hellboy, or Children of Men or Gravity and Cuarón, there's one thing missing compared and juxtaposed to Robert Rodriguez. There's no Hispanic talent. And so I ask you the question, is it the responsibility for a Hispanic director to create Latino stars? Um, well, I mean... It's not the risk. I don't know that you say it's the responsibility. It's something that I definitely see as, as my, something that I can offer. Um, and you got to understand all three of those that you mentioned, they're not from here. So when they're in Mexico, you're right. They can make movies that are completely Mexican. When they're here, they can feel free to make movies that are American. Because I'm Mexican American, um, I prefer to make my, you know, to try and help change the situation here for filmmakers here by giving more filmmakers 
that are here, their voice, so they can cast more, you know, the kind of, you know, actors and, and write the roles that reflect more their, their life here in the States as a, as a minority in the States. You know, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a very different, different even things. Of course, when you're, when you're from another country, you don't feel that responsibility because it's not, that's not your point of view. I mean, you're making movies that are for the entire world, so they don't, have, they don't need to do that. Um, I don't think you should force them to do that. I think what mm. they do is fantastic. And uh, I think how they do it is fantastic. But it's different when you come from the country here and when you don't come from the country here. So um, I, I love that they can disappear behind some of these big budget movies and you and you forget that they're the one behind it because they're not pushing an agenda. Unless you right. really feel that agenda, you shouldn't be pushing that agenda. I really believe that that needs to be done. So that's why I do that. And I doubled and tripled down on that, but it's not everyone's cross. It's not everyone's cross to bear. You know, I just know that I found it particularly difficult to make movies that reflected my identity here because of the way the system was. So I wanted to change the system. Now that you're saying doubling down on that casting Rosa Salazar, I mean, mm-hmm. and what a gem of an actress for this. I mean, it just seems like she was born to play Alita. Um, yeah. Explain to me, with all the rhetoric that's been going on with politics, with identity politics, with the racial uh, sensibilities of our nation right now, uh, I thought it was very ballsy of you, dude, to take a James Cameron super big budget film and put a Latina lead on, uh, in there that wasn't necessarily Michelle Rodriguez or Zoe Saldana or somebody that was a household name at this point. Tell me about going on that path was it deliberate on your end or was she just happened to be the best person for the job to lead this movie in Rosa Salazar? Yeah, no, I was, I was so proud to, that she could be in the movie because it was just total coincidence that she was just happened to be Latin. We had it open to, we kept, so it wasn't deliberate really wide. Oh no, not at all. I would, I would never narrow it down so tight just for, for that. You want to hire the best person and that she was the best person gives you even more pride because of when I found her, Awesome. I sent her to Jim and said, hey, I don't want to jump the gun, but this girl's amazing. And he said, well, I don't think we even need to look further. She's definitely the one. <laughs> I mean, she was so head and shoulders above everyone else who came in. But we always knew we'd have to go kind of discover the, the person because you would look at, you know, known actresses out there. None of them we thought were like, you know, you can just say, oh, it's, I know who Alita is. It's that girl on that TV show. You know, we, we there was no one we could just spot openly. So we knew we'd have to go to the whole casting process of discovering somebody and so it wasn't something that needed to have a star star in it alita was going to be the star not necessarily the actors playing needed to be the actress playing her mm-hmm. um so um she just happened to be the the best one for the role so that that gives you even more pride that you know we're rigging the game in some way it was she was actually just an incredible actress and just and we put her through the whole rigmarole i mean even though I, I discovered her pretty early on, we still went through the whole casting process, did screen tests. She had to screen test up against other girls, oh, and we all man. had to look at it. The studio had to look at it. Where everyone just agreed she was the, she was the top choice. Yeah, so she hands down just completely just surprised everybody and brought her A game to 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 the auditions. That's great. Yeah. So if anything, I wouldn't want that to work against her, where people think, oh well, of course Robert Rodriguez, he wouldn't. He probably was looking for a Latin actress. No, I was not. So she really, because of her actually acting skills, and I think everyone can see that, how amazing she is, is is why she was chosen. 
Well, Robert, thank you so much uh, for coming on the podcast and and, and talking about this. Uh, very excited about the movie. It's one of the most visually stunning films I've seen. Period. I appreciate that. Well, these kind of movies, this kind of movie is really fun because you're pushing the technology so much. And I saw Jim do this on Avatar that even he didn't know how it was going to look at the end. You know, wow. He didn't know how far they get the technology by the time three years later when it come out. And we went through that on this. By the end, we both looked at the finished movie and our jaws were dropped. We're like, this is stunning. We, we didn't know it would get that. We didn't know it would get that real. You know, we didn't know. They, they couldn't do this three years ago when we started. So um, it was a surprise to us too that it, that it looked that amazing and a pleasant surprise. We, it, it, you felt we felt more like an audience member than the film absolutely producer. yeah yeah that's what it seems so all right man thank you so much robert i appreciate your time man thanks buddy i need you to destroy a girl called alita you made the biggest mistake of your life Just before I wrap up here, here are three land tracks you might want to add to your playlist this weekend. A mis muchachas, Christina Aguilera featuring Nati Peluso, Becky G, and Nikki Nicole. Sexy Girl, Osuna, Megan Thee Stallion, and DJ Snake. He wanna party with a hottie. He say he like him, think I got that body, yaddy, yaddy. I must be who they steady, cause I'm always the subject. Professor Vanessa, teach you bitches how to keep it player under pressure. Amor como puñal, loyal lobos. And that's it for episode 166 of the Highly Relevant Podcast. If you like this episode, please share with your friends and have them subscribe and leave a review. You'll be helping us reach many more people. If you would like to get in touch with me, reach out to me on Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube. I'm Jack Rico. See you next week on another episode of Highly Relevant. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. 
Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.